This is Kanzenshu, the podcast episode 465 for the week of January 13th, 2019. Hey, Wim Broly! What's up? Welcome to Kanzenshu, the podcast, an extension of the all-encompassing Dragon Ball fan site, Kanzenshu. We cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening and a little bit of entertaining. My name is Mike. You may see me around as Vegito EX here, episode 465 of our podcast. We have quite an extravaganza for you here this episode. Uh, we have so many voices here on the show to talk about a variety of things. The main content this episode that we're going to get to uh, momentarily is a review of Dragon Ball Super Broly. Uh, yes, it's hitting uh, America this week. You'll be able to go see the English dub yourself here on the show to talk about it from its original Japanese theatrical debut. Jake Herms here from Kanzenju, and then AJ as well, uh, one of our Kanzenju contributors working uh, behind the scenes on some maybe production animation stuff, uh, long term projects. Also, uh, forum moderator extraordinaire and yeah i guess he does all that youtube stuff as well you know maybe you've seen anime aj stuff out there and then after that we have some important if not bittersweet consensual news for you on the flip side of the movie review uh, we're gonna have the entire consensual administrative staff for that one so definitely make sure you stick around after the review for some uh, good chat there i don't want to beat around the bush too much because we got a hell of a review for you a hell of a chat after that and well i have to edit the entire thing so the more i talk the more i have to edit so Without further ado, uh, first up for you, we got the movie review of Dragon Ball Super Broly with uh, Jake and AJ. And stick around after that for some more chat. And then I'll hit you on the flip side of all of that to wrap up the entirety of our episode here. So onward to the review. Talk to you in a bit. All right. Joining us uh, for a review extravaganza. This is... You know, we were able to do kind of like day and date <laughs> with uh, Battle of Gods and Resurrection F. Uh, not so much with Broly, but I think it's okay because uh, I'm kind of interested in doing it in this fashion where the movie is hitting international audiences. Like now, <laughs> if you're in America, you're going to be able to go see it this week. I know some other countries already got it. It's going to be hitting some other places pretty soon. So the review from uh, our perspective here on the podcast is going to be uh, kind of unique in that the folks here have seen it in Japan in theaters. Uh, I have not seen it, so I'm really approaching it from uh, a curiosity standpoint. And then the listener, you, you will be able to take that and do whatever you want with it and, and then go see the movie. Uh, two of you actually saw the movie together in theaters in Japan at least once. Uh, let's start with Jake. Hello, sir. Hello. Took a nice little trip over there. Uh, saw a movie, saw some sights. It seems like it was a pretty good time. Oh, yeah. I think it went well. I'm still sorting through the photos I took. Oh, I, so, I love your photos. You were tweeting up some good stuff right when you got there. Yeah, I need to get back to that. But yeah, I've got, I'm embarrassed to say how many photos I actually took. So yeah, I'll be filtering through to try and find like the cream of the crop for maybe the next year or so. Excellent. Well, I look forward to that. Uh, and then over there to see the movie as well. Uh, I, I guess this is something you were kind of interested in. Some person named AJ. Just a little bit. A, a tiny a little bit. Passing curiosity at best. <laughs> uh, seems like you guys had a pretty good time, huh? It was good. Yeah. I'm a lot like Jake. I have so much footage that I recorded and I still haven't edited 
any of it together. It's just sat on my <laughs> PC mocking me. Now, AJ, how much have you talked about the movie? Obviously, <laughs> quite a bit uh, on your own on your YouTube channel. Um, people may be coming to this having already heard some of what you've talked about. So, what does exist? Like, what kind of uh, slant did you take so far? So, I, I've done one review so far of like the 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 film as a whole, and then I did like okay. a, an animation thing that was like forty minutes long. Because it just, okay. it's, yeah. Um, There's a lot. There is a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, do you want my, like, general opinions on it so far, or just... Oh, we're going to get to that. Don't okay. you worry about okay. that. <laughs> okay. And and I say that so as to further then say, if you're interested in more kind of, like, uh, nitty-gritty on that subject, you certainly have it. Uh, what I'm interested in right now is it's actually been a little bit since you guys saw the movie. So as opposed to Battle of Gods and Resurrection F, when Julian was uh, in Japan and we got, like, that immediate kind of walking out of the theater thoughts on it you've had some time to reflect on it a little bit so i'm curious to go back and listen to what you've already said about the movie in comparison to what you may say about it here so uh that's kind of how i'm gonna approach this uh review as well all right i guess let's set the stage a little bit dragon ball super broly it's a brand new theatrical film, the third in a series of kind of big time movies for the Dragon Ball franchise. This is a movie that is taking place, I guess you can say, after the Dragon Ball Super television series. Uh, and this guy named Broly is back. Where I want to start with uh, the both of you here is what were your thoughts on kind of like everything going into the movie? Um, let's start with the return of Broly as kind of like a concept. Jake, where were you going into the film? Uh, I guess you could say that was sort of the um, low point in my expectations for the film. Yeah. Which was kind of the same thing with Resurrection F is like. Uh, once I learned, oh, they're bringing Frieza back, it's like, uh, that didn't really get me excited. But then everything else I found out after that point kind of got me more excited. So, yes, in a way, it was... It was kind of good to get the uh, worst part, at, the worst news out of the way first. <laughs> the worst wish in history was actually Broly was coming back. All right. Finding out that it was that they were revamping the character and all that stuff Toriyama and other people said about they're going to give him more depth and give a, a more human side to him and all that stuff. That yeah. did make me uh, intrigued to see what they would do with him. Yeah, I think we all kind of said on the podcast over time, it's like, all right, if you're going to bring back Broly, all right, Toriyama, let's see what you got. Uh, AJ, what was your take going into the movie there? Yeah, I mean, when they when they first revealed Broly, I was like, oh, why? Didn't we just do this with Kale? And like, isn't the whole point of this film to like refresh everything? Like we have a new art style, like everything feels new. Why are we then bringing back an old character? That didn't really work for me. Um, yeah, we just did this with Kale. The entire point of Kale from Toei themselves was let's do Broly in Dragon Ball Super. And then Toriyama said, oh, this isn't quite what I want to do. And then, you know, we ended up with Cauliflower, uh, kind of that, that combination there. And then to have everyone come back around again and go, eh, you know what? No, let's actually do Broly. It, it just seemed confusing. It was very strange. Um, I Yeah, I mean, I'm much like Jake. Like, as soon as they started saying, well, it's, it's a, a new Broly, really. Um, you know, we were conscious of his character and I mean, there's, there's like a, a quote that I don't remember the exact quote, but it's, you can read between the lines. It's basically like, yeah, he didn't really have much to him before. So yeah, yeah. we're, we're <laughs> they doing were all it. saying that. Yeah. So it's like, we've done something with him this time and, and that made me a lot more optimistic. Um, I think a lot of the trailers that were very much just screaming and I was like, oh, that's, that feels like old Broly. So I didn't really know what to expect going in at all, really. 
Um, I was just, you know, I was aware that obviously minus was a thing and they were talking all about destiny and all of this stuff. So I knew there was something there, but they weren't really selling me on new Broly three trailers alone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, before we move on, I do want to pimp a little bit here. Podcast episode 449 from back in July. Uh, Heath and I gave the full history on Broly as a character. So that may set the stage if you aren't super in-depth knowledgeable about this character, where he came from, and why it was significant that he was coming back. Pause. we we'll go back and listen to 449. Uh, come on back and listen to the rest of the episode. So we talked about, uh, all right, our thoughts, your thoughts, your take on Broly coming Coming back as a character, uh, the kind of other side of the coin here was not just all right. We're refreshing old ideas, but meanwhile, we're refreshing the entire production of this production. So AJ, we have we have like a new director, we have a new animation director, uh, we have the same composer along for the ride. But in general, the visual style of this movie, specifically character designs from now Hero Shintani, I mean it's it's a new flair for the series while at the same time echoing older flares of the series uh clearly from your perspective as someone who's more interested and devoted to this than anyone that i've seen in you know the 21 years that i've been doing this uh, in quotes professionally uh you were clearly excited for it did it live up to it in the end oh god yes <laughs> like it's it's unbelievable it, it left me lost for words it's such an overwhelming film even if you're not into animation i think it's impossible to to walk away from that film not going wow like that's yeah you, you know it's it's weird to then go and look at something like resurrection f and something like battle of gods that you know at the time i think most fans were like yeah you know this looks fine there's some pretty cool stuff in here sure why not and then you it looks like a movie sure yeah you look at broly and you're like oh oh no we were watching glorified tv specials wow <laughs> you know we're we're in full-on you know movie top tier territory right here and it's incredible uh well let's focus on that visual spectacle for a little bit here since it's, it's totally hard to ignore a lot of response that i saw coming out of the film after its preview screening and then right after its debut was that it's kind of like a visual assault on the senses and that's kind of difficult to rest or take a break give your eyes a little bit of a break there for uh kind of a lack of a better way to phrase it uh jake did you feel that way watching this film yeah i think um the pacing is very frantic, and it does feel at times that maybe um, like more of some of the connective tissue might have been cut out just to get to the battles quicker. Mm. And yeah, so there's not too much breathing room. I mean, I feel to a certain extent that's done intentionally to keep things moving along, keep everything excited, but I think I would have appreciated a little more quiet moments. I mean, there are, there are a few of those, too, like when Brawley gives his backstory, more or less, like, you know, explaining about his pet and all that stuff. But I would have liked more of that overall. Yeah. AJ, what'd you think? As, as someone who's going in looking, as you, I think you described it as you, you saw it a couple times. Like the first time, I'm just going to look at the animation. Second time, I'm going to kind of pay attention to a couple other things. Did you feel like you, you couldn't blink throughout the entire movie? Oh, it's definitely overwhelming. I don't. It's weird because the fighting doesn't really start until an hour in like there is a very mm. short fight early on i don't know whether we're going full spoilers in this podcast but yeah so the the way that i'm kind of introducing this episode which i haven't recorded yet but i will record it is that like we're kind of in the middle where it's we're not necessarily going to tell you every single little detail about it but because the movie is coming out like don't necessarily shy away for something if it backs up your point okay i mean I 
essentially the first quarter of the movie is the flashback portion. Right. Then the the second quarter is in the present day leading and all the stuff that leads up to the big fight. And then the second half of the movie is essentially just the fight. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much where I was going. Like you have an incredibly long build up. Like it is an hour and then it's yeah. 30 minutes of pure nonstop fighting. And it's, I mean, it's, incredibly high quality action and you know a lot of it's very well boarded and you can understand the flow of the majority of the fight but when you get to some of the most i guess idiosyncratic sequences from you know very famous animators like naoto shishida and those sequences can last you know upwards of three minutes that's when it starts to get a bit like whoa okay i can can barely even sort of take in what is happening right now and i don't know if it's necessarily a massive negative because it's not like that deeply impacts any of the narrative that's happening at the time <laughs> i mean there isn't yeah. really much it's big guy punches you know little guy and vice versa so i don't know it's i guess it depends how much you value readability of choreography over extended sequences i wouldn't say it's like a massive issue across the entire film but from certain animators i'd, I'd say that's definitely a thing do you think that that might change a little bit when we end up with the home release and you kind of have it on the smaller screen something a little more digestible in front of you that you can kind of go back and forth a little bit between i think it's possible um i know that for example one of shida's scenes like in episode 130 of super you know i've seen that so many times but you know one of his traits is that everything moves so fast it's almost it, al- it almost looks like it's sped up and there are there are small little details within his sequences that you just there's no way no matter how much you watch that back and forth unless you paused and like look through stuff you'd miss it easily and i think you know that's just a downside of of you know his animation but i don't know again i think it does it will vary very much on what on what you look for from a fight I mean, you know, it's it's visual spectacle and it comes at a point that is supposed to be a huge, you know, visual smack in the face. And so I think it works for what it is. So I don't yeah. I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Okay. Well, this kind of gets back to Jake, something you were saying a little bit before is it's it's moving at such a brisk pace. Uh as we learned that it was going to be Broly, as we learned of the production shift, uh, and we saw some of these examples of what they were truly going for, which was very exciting in and of itself. It did leave me a little bit concerned that it might be all in service of just that kind of like audiovisual spectacle and and not on the narrative side of things. Jake, you said it did move at a brisk pace. Does that mean that there's some connective tissue missing between scenes? Uh, does it kind of feel like things are just happening for no reason, or or does it feel honest and and true and legitimate the whole way through? I mean, it feels like things are happening for a reason, but sometimes it feels very fast. Like uh, when uh, Chile and Lemo find Broly and Paragus, it's like they talk for a bit and then immediately like, oh, let's go take you back to Frieza. He'll be glad to see you. It's like it kind of cuts directly to their spaceship taking off. Mm, okay. There's a few things like that just in the that setup part of the film that just seem like you get you get what they're going for, but it seems like they're kind of rushing through to the next thing. Did it feel like there was animation that was cut, or is it just, no, that's just how they wanted to direct it? I mean, I'm not sure just going off my memories at this point, because, yeah, I haven't seen it since then. Right. But Well, the weird thing is, there are some sequences that we saw in trailers and screenshots that aren't in the film, which is really yeah. odd. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not unusual for that to happen. Sometimes stuff gets cut down for time, but... 
And I guess at this point, I should say that um, I have the novelization and the light novel version, and I've read neither of them. <laughs> and it, se- it seems increasingly unlikely that I ever will actually read this thing cover to cover. But That's theoretically right. speaking, there might be details about there might the novelization might include some stuff they cut from the movie. But I don't know. I mean, from what I've seen, I you know, I have read even before seeing the movie. I, you know, when I was in Japan, I picked up the novelization. I looked through it a bit. So I got a sense of the dialogue, but it does seem to just be like the script with, a set, you know, just descriptions, only sure. enough description to make the dialogue coherent without gotcha. any like extra backstory, except for like one or two things. Like there's some extra character names and whatnot, but sure, it doesn't, from what I've seen of the novelization, doesn't seem like there, I haven't found evidence of massive plot points cut from the film so far. All right. And I know Julian's very interested in reading both, if not translating them on his own, just for his own educational purposes. So I look forward to that. Yeah. Uh, H.E., what was your take on the the overall kind of like connective tissue throughout the film? So the way I described it in my review was that if you've ever seen the theatrical cut of Batman versus Superman, for me, when I saw that film, it felt like it was kind of going from scene to scene and it never gave you a second to sort of have an establishing shot, let you breathe and take in what's happening and sort of, I guess it's, you know, we talk about connective tissue and I don't think that necessarily needs to be, you know, here's how character got from here to this point, but it's like, it's, it's that sort of unspoken flow between scenes that's really important. And I feel that so heavily within the first 20 minutes of the film. And you were saying, you know, what's, you know, what's the difference between your immediate reaction and where you're at now? And like, the more I think about, you know, that, opening 20 minutes and you know even like the second third time i saw the film that feels worse and worse to me it's so it's so disjointed all right well let's go to it right now so again we're not necessarily looking to spoil every detail but we've already seen some of this in the trailers we're talking about the film so here we go uh the opening of the film is this flashback sequence where we learn about king cold passing down the reins to frieza we see some stuff about the signs we get some details on the scouters all that good stuff what's so curious about that to me is like that was the okay well if we're gonna do all this cool stuff well let's do bardock let's throw in minus and frieza's in this movie later because i guess he's alive so we we should show him here like did it feel like a part of this film or did it feel like well we wanted to do minus so we built some stuff around minus cut maybe the latter okay so i don't know if you've ever if if you've ever read the far side there's this one far side cartoon where the caption is uh horses are introduced to north america you know this historic event and so and the, the picture is a bunch of native americans standing around with a bunch of horses standing around shaking hands and I don't know, this might be a stretch, but the opening reminds me a lot of that cartoon where the joke is it's this complex historical event that's just boiled down to this absurd thing where like they're just standing around shaking hands. And the opening of this film, it's like, well, how did, how did Frieza meet the science? And so we see in this film, Cold shows up one day and says, hey, science, here's my son Frieza. Meet him. You know, it's like, like, how did the science get the scouters? Well, it turns out that day, Frieza said, hey, science, here are these scouters I have now. <laughs> Take them and use them. Like, that's what the intro, it, it feels very just, everything is the minimum number of words required to explain the backstory. So in that regard, did it feel, that was always our, at least my complaint about the Dragon Ball Minus bonus chapter, uh, where it was like, all right, yeah, you you do in fact have words on a page that say what is happening, and that does relate to the next page. However, 
<laughs> dot, dot, dot. Uh, so was this kind of like incarnate in animation? Yeah, I guess it feels true to Minus in that regard. And I mean, I'm one of uh, maybe seven people on Earth who doesn't hate Minus, but it's a weird thing where it's like, I don't hate it, but I I don't love it either. So the fact that I don't hate it makes me seem like I love it in comparison to the fan consensus, I guess you could say. That's how the internet works. Apparently, I hate the Dragon Ball Super manga, I guess because I haven't said anything positive about it in the last week. Like, I don't really know how people come up with these narratives about things, but I I totally see where you're coming from. It doesn't feel terrible, but it doesn't feel like anything either. I mean, like the Bardock special also had that kind of element where it's like, well, here, here's a bunch of dialogue that's mostly there to explain stuff that we know happens later, but it made it feel more dramatic compared to this. AJ, how'd you feel about the opening of the movie? I, I feel like, you know, let's talk about Broly. Let's talk about the fights. But I, I don't know, From as an outsider perspective who's looking forward to seeing the film, the opening just has me scratching my head a little bit. I don't hate the opening. I I think it's okay. I think I, I do agree. It feels incredibly contrived and it sounds exactly like that little comic strip uh, Jake described. But I, it doesn't, I, I don't think that feels too bad for me. Um, and I think the inclusion of minus, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, at least on paper, I think makes some sort of sense, especially when you sort of combine it with the marketing material where it starts talking about, you know, three different fates, you know, uh, Goku, yeah, Vegeta yeah. and Broly, you know, so, okay, so we're going to see how, you know, Broly ended up being exiled and lived on this horrendous planet. Oh, now we're going to see Goku's story. Fair enough. And I think had the film taken those themes run with them and done something with them later in the film which of course we'll get to i would have been okay with it but it it never does that and so in spite of me thinking well i mean okay they've taken minus haven't actually done anything with it you know if you didn't like minus you're not going to like it now and that's where i am yeah. I, I i just I, I don't think even if they'd taken minus and done something interesting with it to make it its own interesting self-contained story i'd still wouldn't have cared because it doesn't do anything with it uh that was my biggest my that was my biggest issue with it fans okay. fan service stuff aside you know why is this here you never get an answer for why is this here so that was sad it's like if if you haven't seen the main series and if they didn't have the same name you wouldn't know that the frieza in the opening is the same character in the rest of the movie they don't look the same and there's like nothing to connect his actions in the second half of the movie to what he does in the intro all right well tell me more about that and again we'll we'll get to the fights we'll get to broly tell me about frieza in this movie because that's what i don't know i mean i've read our entire summary that we have on the site so i do know so i'm just you know playing dumb a little bit here but what is the point of frieza in the movie like i get he's the one with the empire and technically the science are part of his empire and technically he's alive like what role does frieza not just have but what does he bring to the film he's sort of like a court jester like he's he's a puppet master and i, I think he's incredible in this film like as, as okay as sort of as i guess sort of stitched in as he feels i love I love his presence in this film. I think he brings so much comedic value to a lot of the scenes. And I think somehow it feels natural. Somehow. I'm just, it's, it's, I'm not even sure how to put my love of Frieza in this film into words because it's just, it's this great, almost sort of Joker-esque presence. Isn't that how a lot of us felt about him in the Tournament of Power, though? Where it was like, oh, we really want to boo. All right, we're going to do Frieza. You know what? This actually kind of worked in the end. Is it just a continuation of that here in the film? Yeah, he's more actively comedic in the film. Okay. Like, I don't know if, 
if it's a spoiler, if we want to say what his wish is. I guess save it. We'll just say that there's there's a comedic bent to it. Yeah. And I mean, kind of what I was saying before is that in the opening, all the stuff he does in the opening is just to set up the stuff from the m- main series with his relationship with the science and the Namek arc and all that stuff. Yeah. And then, which is unrelated to what he does in the sec- in the ma- present day stuff, because that's all falling on from the new status quo after the Tournament of Power. Another analogy, like his new position in the present day is kind of like Dr. Eggman in Sonic, where Eggman is like in um, past a certain point in the Sonic games, the plot of every game is that Eggman gets a new ally to try to conquer the world, and then the ally inevitably betrays him. And that is exactly what happens with Brawly in this film. It seems like he's now fallen into the kind of, um, he starts the film like, oh, how can I, what can I do to... Uh, beat Goku and Vegeta, and then he tries this scheme with Brawly, his new recruit. That fails. Then he ends the film. It's like, well, or just try something else next time. Mm-hmm. It's like it. It feels like or like a kind of Power Rangers setup, the kind of thing where it's like a, a weekly show where every week there's a recurring bad guy who has a new scheme that are try and then fail, and then it goes back to the, you know. There's no go. Yeah, going off this film, like I'm not sure what the forward progress of the franchise as a whole is going to be. You know, uh, a long time ago, it was I don't remember who was on what we were talking about. I think it was Mary and I, uh, and I was saying something like, "Oh, if we're gonna have more spinoff stories and." special features oh, i'll take some more cyan and freeze it back history that, that would be cool i always enjoy that and jake i remember you took me the task on that You're like well actually that's kind of all we get all the time is more of that and it just makes things more convoluted and you know i've kind of come around on that a little bit I, I basically agree with you at the same time i still remain curious about all of that I, I feel like i have very conflicted feelings within me as i as i hear all about this and how frieza is playing out and what uh like going backwards and forwards in time with Frieza and these characters. Like I want it, but I don't want it. And it sounds like it's okay, but then it pulls from things I don't like. I, ooh, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm also going to throw out here that Frieza has apparently, he kept the exact same staff from, uh, you know, the day he met the signs up until the Namek arc. You know, the Genyu Force, they're there. They, the same five members of the Genyu Force wearing the same clothes. Genyu in the same body as Zarbon Dodori. It's like no one's died or been, you know, like he hasn't hired or fired anyone in those 30 years. Oh, I guess he had a pretty good run for a while there. That's fine. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, obvious, obviously the animators, they just wanted to draw all the classic Frieza henchmen, but yeah. I don't know. I would have loved it if it was like the Genyu Force, but Genyu has a different body. It's like everyone else is the same, but he's like some crazy looking guy we've never seen before, but doing the same Genyu poses. It makes poor old Togama in F's just seem so much more sad. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And we didn't we didn't get to see uh, Abo or Cabo. Right, right. That would have. So we do have uh, the same kind of like half-hearted Tarbo mentioned in this movie, right? Yeah, but not by name. Again, he's just. Uh, they mentioned Vegeta has a younger brother who he doesn't care about whatsoever. I feel like that's as far as kind of everyone's willing to take it at this point. They're not really super committing again. All right, all right. Uh, is there anything else with the existing? like back history lore that you thought was interesting or worth noting that they brought to light here in the film? 
I thought it was kind of hilarious that uh, Shigeru Chiba was just using his pilaf voice as young uh, Reddits. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, (laughs) I've been watching a lot of Fist of the North Star, so having him uh, as the narrator, and then he also just showed up as another character and with Dragon Ball. Like, I'm getting the full range of this character recently in my life. It's pretty spectacular, so looking forward to that there. All right, all right. That's another thing. That scene where they have young Raditz and Vegeta and uh, Nappa... They're with, you know, this is after the planet Vegeta has been destroyed. There's these two other th- signs with them. Yeah. They don't get names, but it's like, yeah, we'll never know what happened to those guys. That are that are, have to be the next movie is uh, the fates of those two random nameless signs. <laughs> right. Who are these characters that Raditz says and counts are still alive? And can he be relied on at any point anymore? Maybe Raditz can't count. Maybe it runs in the family. Who knows? All right. Take me a little bit further into the film. So we've been talking about Frieza and this back history a little bit. Uh, where do we go from there? Um, does it feel natural as a, as at this point in the franchise, this is the right story to tell? Uh, <laughs> I don't know about natural. I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe it would have been too obvious, but it seems like in the wake of the tournament of power, the next natural step would have been something else focusing on one of the other universes or something like that. But so this seems like. I think even Vegeta says in that opening scene where, no, wait, it's Goku. Goku is the one who's like, oh, I w- I'm upset. I, I want to get stronger because there's strong people in other universes. And then Vegeta is the opposite where it's like, no, we got to focus on this universe because Frieza, we don't know how strong here get. But I, I don't know. I guess I almost feel like the natural progression would have been another strong opponent from a different universe. Like, but maybe that also would have just been too predictable. Well, is, <laughs> is the predictable route what Heroes is doing right now where it's, you know, this giant space war? Yeah, I guess I, maybe that is the the good part of the good thing about heroes is it's there to do the obvious thing always. <laughs> and then on the other side, Broly is likewise kind of the most obvious thing ever. So they're doing it over there yeah, as well. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, just keep taking me further into the film here. Sure. So where do we go? We 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 go from minus and there's a very, very cool transition through into the uh into the present you get a nice little sort of montage an animated montage in fact of uh you know goku and vegeta or i guess mainly goku growing up uh and that sort of leads you into this slice of life section which it was one of my personal highlights i know you know shintani said i want to focus on the comedy and he definitely did because holy crap that sequence the whole scene here is just spectacular everyone's moving and bouncing around and the sort of fight little training sequences are amazing if we want to do a uh, three-hour version of this podcast we could talk about the uh, ramifications of the scrolling year counter <laughs> oh and god all, yeah all of the, the the various timeline issues raised by this movie's time frame but probably skip that for now but yeah i mean you you go through this section and you know like jake was saying it feels like a continuation of the tournament of power you have goku sort of reflecting on the people he fought and sort of we raising sort of interesting questions okay goku what do you want to do now uh, you know that stuff i thought was good and <laughs> goku where do you see yourself in five years <laughs> <laughs> yeah well who knows at this point and so you kind of you sort of move from that point on to broly i guess it kind of skips forward as well and you get another bit of contrast between oh here's you know happy boy goku thinking about fighting things and oh here's paragus and broly on this crazy desolate planet you know that i think that's the kind of contrast that works very nicely in this film um and, and i guess the introduction to broly is kind of amazing uh i mean 
Sumitomo's score, I have to talk about it. You know, Sumitomo won me over in this film. Um, I have it on the list. Oh, you're getting ahead of me. I'm I had so this sorry. Cool I'm so I sorry. I was going to say Sumitomo. Go Sumitomo, go, go, or no Sumitomo, uh, no, I've, no. I've ruined it. You can you can edit it in. It'll be magic. No, it's fine. That's it's ruined. fine. I'm sorry. But um, no, he like he he introduces this Broly motif sort of from the very beginning of the film, and it's worked into almost every single track. But there's this sort of really distinct contrast between sort of that motif at the beginning of the film with sort of young innocent Broly and this sort of big hulking you know, revelation of modern, I guess, contemporary Broly in the current era. Uh, and it's, okay. it's, it's really, really powerful. And it, it, it also completely goes against the way that new Broly is characterized and the way new Broly is characterized is just phenomenal. Uh, for me, it's some of the best stuff Toriyama has done in years. You know, he's this sort of, Tarzan character and you know we were saying earlier you know Chilai and Lemo pick him up and take him on the ship and yes that transition is kind of jarring but then everything from that point onwards the sort of next I guess I'd say maybe what 20 minutes half an hour of the film their interactions are incredible I was blown away by just how charming those three are and how you kind of you fall in love with these characters without really you don't really get any sort of backstory on you know Chile and Lemo really I mean there's there's sort of offhand comments but you sort of you fall in love with them just through their dialogue and to me that felt like classic Toriyama and I, I loved it so so much that's the kind of thing he says he focuses on where it's I, I I'm very particular about the way the characters talk and talk to each other and it sounds like that really shined here yeah absolutely I mean, speaking of Tarzan, it seems like the, the point of comparison is that the new version of Broly is supposed to parallel Goku in a lot of ways. Mm. Like the original Goku's starting point where, you know, he's been living more or less on his own out in the middle of nowhere. And then suddenly somebody from civilization finds him and befriends him and takes him back to the world. I mean, in that way, Chila is essentially the new Bulma. Okay. And I guess Lemo would be Oolong. I don't, know. I don't know how far we can take this, but but yeah, it's the kind of Chilai and Lemo. It's the kind of standard. It's like the the rookie and the veteran, where Ch- uh, Lemo's been in the Frieza's army for ages and ages, and then Chilai has just joined recently because she stole a Galactic Patrol ship. So it's a kind of obvious contrast. And it's the thing Toriyama said a lot, where he introduces new characters in pairs so that they can talk to each other, and that provides exposition. Instead of saying, well, as you know, I am blah, 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 just have these two kind of play off each other while having Broly around them. All right, sounds like it works. Good. Yeah, so this next section, I guess, sort of, it works well for me, as far as Broly's characterization goes, because aside from, you know, the the interactions with Chi Lai and Lama, which are, are great, and you get this sort of very naive, innocent side of Broly, you also have some amazing backstory uh you know talking about how he got his pelt which was a plot point i absolutely loved um and i won't spoil it because i, I really think it's best discovered through seeing the film but alongside all of this stuff you get these little hints of brody's rage you know from his introduction where he sort of you know comes flying in with this big dramatic sumitomo score but you also have sort of you know little interruptions where you sort of see how he values his friends you know with like a, a there's like a freezer mook who tries to sort of cause a little bit of trouble you sort of get some hint of things there and it also sort of establishes the relationship between him and paragus in this film and that stuff is just it's great it's the kind of thing where i'm sat there going man you know this feels like it feels like 2013 again where i'm sort of 
discovering something new in the Dragon Ball universe. And like, and at the same time, I'm also sat there going, oh, but this, this is, I've, this is Broly and, and Paragus. How is this new? But it, but how it, is this new and good? Yeah. It's, it's crazy. But it, but that's the feeling I had while watching that particular section of the film. Like, wow, this is actually, I'm so invested in these two, in these two new characters, two new old characters. And it's, I'm gripped and I want to see where this goes. And it's, you know, it's such a cliche thing to say, like, I, I want to see more, but I, I did. I, like, I, I was so taken aback by that feeling and I was so glad that it works so well. It's a shame it doesn't last all the way through and we'll, we'll get to that. But it, for yeah, that yeah. sort of opening part of the film, I was really astonished. Take me forward into, all right, we've got all this setup going on. How does then this come to Goku and Vegeta um does that feel like it it makes sense and the instant we get there is it just fight 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 from there on out it makes no sense to me in the slightest this for me was really a very sort of confusing part of the film for me almost like we have like I said an hour of setup talking all about this thing for revenge um you know and and the revenge is on Vegeta really Goku's not really a part of it in spite of the fact you know we have his whole origin story but you know that's another conversation in and of itself but what i thought was kind of weird with this transition from the build-up into the fight was that they sort of get there and it's like i've come to exact revenge on you and everyone's just kind of like okay don't really care okay fight time now and 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 it was at that point i'm like well we haven't really got an established reason to fight here what's what's the sort of motivation behind this behind the next sort of 40 minutes of the film because nobody cares about the revenge anymore this is just yeah it's just a it's an afternoon fight now so paragus wants revenge on king vegeta who has been dead for 30 years right but now he's transferred that to his son who is vegeta the fourth the fourth <laughs> but but yeah vegeta he doesn't care about paragus goku doesn't care about paragus paragus doesn't care about goku because they have frieza and paragus have a conversation beforehand where it's like uh, yeah, I, I only want revenge on Vegeta, so Freeze, Freeze is like, oh, I can handle Goku, because he's the one I want revenge on. Okay. So it's like, yeah, Frieza wants revenge, Paragus wants revenge, but none of the people Paragus actually wants revenge on are there anymore. <laughs> Goku just wants to fight because he always wants to fight, and Vegeta is sort of the same way, but maybe 60% as uh, into it. I mean, okay. they, there's, an expl there's explicitly a line where... Bulma's like, J what are you doing? Just get the Dragon Balls back so I can get my wish. And Whis is like, well, no, this is, they're a fighting race. So this is just what they do, more or less. So they're fighting because they like to fight, ultimately. I mean, in a way, it makes too much sense. There's, <laughs> it's, the motivation is explicitly that Frieza has just got, recruited these people to kill Goku and Vegeta. And then Goku, so he's brought them to fight Goku and Vegeta because he wants them dead. And then Goku and Vegeta just like to fight for the sake of it. But yeah, the whole, the big whole revenge thing drops out because, well, first off, because King Vegeta's not there anymore. And also because Paragus is just killed midway through anyway. So by the end of it, they, they are explicitly fighting just because they've begun fighting. Brawly is at this point in the fight getting beaten, so f and he can't go. He's stuck in his kind of uh, pseudo Ozaru form. Okay, like he can't go proper Super Saiyan, and so Frieza's like, "Oh, I know. I'll just kill Paragus to get an emotional reaction out of Broly to push him to the next level." Got it. So he kills Broly and then says, "Like, oh or no, Paragus. Broly's been killed." He goes into this. Frieza goes into this very comedic mock, um, like outrage horror oh, kind of so thing good. over 
<laughs> over his own actions. It's like, oh no, somebody other than me has killed Paragus. <laughs> and so, yeah, and so that drives the plot forward that way. So Broly goes super sign, and then the tables turn. It's like, the tables turn repeatedly throughout this movie. It's a big kind of seesaw game in that regard. But yes, it does seem like Toriyama, his, he did take the bare outline, that, that revenge plotline from movie eight, and Paragus dying. Like, mm-hmm. it seems like he must have based that off the original movie. Like, it doesn't seem like if he was doing this from scratch that that would have happened. My question for this part of the movie is what uh, my, my feeling was on Resurrection F, where it's, they ju- they're just fighting, and, like, it's taken forever for Goku to get there, and then when he does, they just fight for what feels like, I don't know, 300 minutes and nothing is happening. Uh, does it feel that way in this movie? Because, like... All of us know at this point that we're leading up to Gogeta fighting Broly. So is the intermediate fight stuff kind of worthwhile on its own? I think it is. Yeah, I think I think this film is like the biggest demonstration of just how important direction is. Like Resurrection F, you know, it's a it's a cool experience the first time around. It has no rewatchability at all. This film, it grabs you by the throat and it doesn't let you go. It's impossible for you to sit there going, can this end? Because it's for me, I just find it it's so impressive and it's so it's so confident in what it's doing and what it's doing, it's doing so well that you just that didn't that didn't even enter my mind at all. Like I, I interesting. And I, I don't know if it even would like a year down the line. Because even even though yes, for the most part it is so much fighting, the actual tone of the fight varies drastically. Like for me in Resurrection okay. F, it was kind of like, sure, we're kind of supposed to take this seriously, but it's not really taking itself seriously. Like even the music well, is like God. Goku and Frieza were just being snarky at each other, just back and forth. Like, oh, really? You can that well, I can do that. Oh, you can do that. Right, well, exactly. I can do that. Like, there's no, there was no real drama to it, and then Goku gets shot through the chest, and now we're supposed to feel some sort of drama. And that, you know, by that point, you just don't care anymore. This film kicks you off. There is so much drama, and then there's some comedy when it feels appropriate to have it, and then there's you know, more drama and, and the sort of the dynamic of the fight goes through so many different motions, but it does it very naturally that yeah. I never, like, there's no point where I'm sat there bored out of my mind like I am with Resurrection F these days. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think that is a testament to Nagamine's skill as a director. Like, I, that, to me, I, I'm, you know, there are very few people who can pull off, you know, 40 minutes of fighting and make that entertaining the entire time. So yeah. that worked for me. Um, I, okay. I do think the fight has issues with tension and, and this is not necessarily the fault of the film. I think it's more an issue with the franchise where there are so many possibilities that it's very, very sort of hard to believe your characters are in trouble because there are so many things they can do to get out of it. And, and the film, like, like the, the film does its best to sort of take you through all the sort of different forms that are, are mainly used. But at the same time, it's in this very difficult spot where it's like, okay, this is, this is part of Super and Super as an anime has its original forms like Blue Kaioken and it has, you know, Blue Evolution or whatever it's called. And that's never going to appear in a, a Toriyama written film. Most likely, you know. Well, you say that, but who really knows what's going to appear right. when? Very I feel true. like at this point. Um, but but like that that was the thing for me. Like it's it, where what's going to be included? Is this going to be included? Also, is this going to happen? Now? What like the, there's no point well, in the. Oh film. come on! The, the big question was: All right, is Ultra Instinct going to save the day? Very true. But but and and then no. <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean, there, there's you know, there's so much debate. Is it in the film? Is it not? Oh, we're not going to do that. No, here. we're Don't not going to do that. that. Definitely not. But you know. 
for me, it was it was that lack of sort of any sort of dialogue to kind of go, we're out of options here, and this is kind of mm. why or or. Okay, so you're saying it, it was going on enough, like it was enjoyable, but you're sitting there going, "We have so many things we could do to just kind of like this." Right, could end exactly. At any it's, point. Yeah, it's like there there are points where it's like, okay, Goku is struggling here, but uh, you know, at, at the back of my mind, I'm like, well, he shouldn't be because there's so much that he could do at this point. So I can't mm-hmm. really buy into this. Well, does that bring us to Gogeta then? Like, is, is did it feel like that was a natural endpoint to the struggle, the fight? I'd say for me, not really. It seems kind of like AJ is saying, there's so many different other options they could have used that it feels, I mean, it's not, it's logical, but also to a certain extent feels arbitrary. Yeah. Like they even discuss, it's like, well, we could have used the Patara, but we don't have Patara. So we we use this other different method of fusion. Yeah. And then also like AJ mentioned, so they don't have Ultra Instinct. I don't care what anyone on Earth says. They just do not have Ultra Instinct in this movie. Um, they don't have uh, Kaioken Blue. They don't have um, Vegeta's Blue Evolution, which if you know if you're watching this immediately after seeing the Turn of Power arc, it does kind of stand out that they yeah. don't use those because they use those in in the Turn of Power. They use those constantly against Jiren right. like, all the time, and so it's kind of weird. Like there's no. To have those just not be there, it does seem weird that it's like... The film references the Tournament of Power, but they're not here. Yeah, it's odd that they just immediately leap to fusion instead of taking it to the... It seems like the next logical progression would be evolution or Kaioken. And I I think it would have been kind of... At that point, it would have been tedious for them to have included them, because there are many, many transformations in this film. I think they I, they managed to keep it interesting, and it helps... It keeps it from feeling stale at any point. But at the same time, they, they push it as far as it can go. Like, even one more segment, even one more transformation would have really probably been the tipping point absolutely the, the, the other thing it's like you know they could do the genki dama they right, could right. uh s- summon the omni king they could have beer they do have Wiss fight Wiss distracts beer, uh, brawly for a while and it seems it's pretty clear that Wiss has the upper hand like he doesn't seem to have any trouble against brawly so it's like if they wanted to i mean Wiss is supposed to be neutral but it's like it's clear that brawly could not beat Wiss. yeah and Beerus is also like on the other side of the planet, babysitting Bra, taking a nap. And it's at the end of the movie, uh, Goku says that Broly is probably stronger than Beerus, but still, it's like Beerus could have been a help if he had shown up. So it's like <laughs> right. they still have all these other things that could have potentially come to save the day. But like that—that's the thing. Like I'm not—I'm not trying to say I need the film to go through all of these different things. I think you're right. That would have been absolutely ludicrous and would have taken the film, you know, over the line from entertaining action to just total tedium. But yeah, it's just. It, I, I can't decide if that's just that's where the franchise is at this point or whether that's something that could have been alleviated through sort of different like through sort of placing the the turning points in different places. I mean, if we I, we've gone into spoiler territory at this point, but for example, the film frames Goku struggling when he's Super Saiyan God. And so he hasn't yeah. he hasn't gone blue yet. He hasn't even exhausted the most standard of things. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, so it's, it's that sort of thing where I'm wondering, well, had this moment maybe come when he was blue, then would I have felt differently? Would that have, would that have felt like a more sort of, is a point of desperation or not? So I'm not sure. It's, it's, it's a question I'm still not sure on, you know, is it the franchise? Is it the film? I don't know. Because uh, Nagamine said in an interview, like one of the things he wanted was to make blue seem really strong. 
with I get implicitly what he's saying is that blue probably hadn't seemed too strong in the super anime by that point. Mm. Because it does seem like in the super main series, like it's kind of useless by the end. Like it never really, there's no big win for Super Saiyan Blue that I can think of offhand. And so I guess he, he wanted to turn that around, but it's still because there's that legacy of of Blue being Goku's new normal that he uses in pretty much every situation. Right. It ends up feeling a little bit like, well, what's the big deal? He still hasn't even done Blue yet instead of, oh my God, now he's going Blue. All right. Well, tell me about Gogeta. Was it uh, much like having Frieza and the Minus inclusion, uh, having Broly? It really seemed like Toei and Shueisha sat Toriyama down and said, all right, come up with some ideas. By the way, here's a bunch of old stuff that sold really well. <laughs> Throw it all together. Did Gogeta just feel like, I mean, just like we saw with uh, Toei doing the screenings of, oh, for no reason, we're showing movie eight and the Bardock special and movie 12. And like they telegraphed everything from the start. Did it just feel like picking and choosing little elements and Gogeta was just one more element they chose from? I mean, like, there's no reason why they couldn't use fusion dance. Like, again, getting getting back to the point where it's like they have so many options, it almost would seem illogical for them not to consider that as an option. Sure. So it makes sense in that regard. But it does have a sort of um, a feeling of... Again, like, there's not much tension. It's like, well, we can do this. We can always do this. Yeah, there's yeah. no reason we can't do that. And there's... I guess the thing, the movie itself didn't bother me the way they use Gogeta, but there's the marketing where it's, um, I mean, apart from the fact that they uh, blew the lid on that whole thing way early, there's the fact that when they announce him, it's just like, oh, Gogeta joins the battle. It's um, like explicitly they're marketing this on the assumption that you already know and love Gogeta. It's not like, who's this new character? It's, oh, here's this guy you know, and he's in the movie too. Mm -hmm. So... That bugged me more than the actual movie itself, I guess. Yeah. I think this is also another point that I guess kind of ties into the tension aspect of the film. The film really sort of wants to go out of its way to make the film feel like a big group experience. And, you know, Nagamine said this, you know, he was inspired by the, the Mexican fans, you know, chanting during episode 130 and 131 of Super. And, you know, that's why we have the chanting in the soundtrack, which, by the way, I have grown to love now um you know it's gogeta appears and then the next 10 minutes of the film are the most one-sided insane beatdown of gogeta against broly it's like the film suddenly goes we don't actually care about sort of tension now this is literally just going to be fans sitting back going gogeta 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 as the just as your as your you know eyes explode from insane animation like that's yeah that's kind of where the finale takes you it's it's hard for like this is the reason why I find it hard to talk about this film because it's such an it's an incredible experience and it's something you know I have no issues going back and revisiting time and time again because I just have so much fun with it. It is a fun film and I and I mean that sincerely. I'm not you know I I may have said that about Resurrection F years ago, but in this case I really do think it is a a fun film. But I think as a as a film film, you know, if you take away that and look at, you know, what is this? How does it function as a narrative as a whole? It doesn't really come together for me. And that's why I'm so divided on it. And that's why okay, it, it's it's hard to write a review because you almost go into that sort of hack writer mode where you're like, fans of the franchise will love it. Exactly. It's like it's, that's everything I've heard is like, well, the, it sure is a Dragon Ball film. I mean, it's beautiful and everything about it is well crafted. But at the end of the day, it just is what it is. Yeah. And it's like it's it's at that point where it's like, well, who else is watching this film? So 
Where, right. where do we sit on it? Yeah, I mean, it's made for Dragon Ball fans, but also like it's the most mainstream property that it can possibly be. So that is for everyone. Uh, does it feel like, I don't know, does it feel like an, an Avengers movie at this point where you just expected to know who everyone is and they'll go do stuff and great? Yeah, I'd say so. Like, I, I almost feel like I'm turning up for a boxing match, a wrestling match, a sports event, and I'm just, you right, know. Right, right rooting for the good guys but that's another point that that kind of bothers me about this film like it I've, this is this is so frustrating i like this film but there are there are so many issues with it and every time i talk about them i feel like i'm just well i know we, we have to say like being critical of something does not necessarily infer anything more than that like you're allowed to be critical of things you like yeah so so the, this was the one thing that sort of bothered me it's that the film goes out of its way to sort of paint Broly as this guy who is actually quite a pure-hearted good guy and he's essentially being used by his you know vengeance-driven father fair enough uh you know and, and the fight starts and you kind of there, there's moments where you you feel sorry for him you know there's moments where sort of very early on you know Vegeta goes to blow him away for example and you know for me as an as an audience member I'm like well I've just watched this guy grow up and I I I, I feel for him in a way here but then that starts to disappear and at that point the film feels kind of confused because you know on one hand i love goku and vegeta and i want these characters you know to succeed but at the same time now i love broly and then i've got the <laughs> soundtrack going you know go broly go go but then it's also going you know go kakarot or whatever so like even the film itself is unsure on who you're supposed to root for and it, it's at that point you know it goes back to this film is essentially a sports event. It's a wrestling match. And, you know, the, and then again, that leaps back to, well, that doesn't function as a competent narrative. You know, that's, that's not really how films are supposed to work. There's supposed to be, you know, a, a protagonist and, and an antagonist. And well, who says what a film is supposed right. to be? But you know what I mean? Like there's, yeah, you can muddy those lines, but it just, I don't know. It, it, it's it, confusing. It feels like they're muddied out of, just laziness not laziness but they're not being muddied out of uh they're not being muddied intentionally they're just muddied because they're muddy right mm. okay like there are there are movies that come along where they break all the rules of what you're supposed to do in a movie and they're great yeah, but yeah. usually that's because they're uh, the rules it's like the cliche where you have to know the rules before you can break them right exactly yeah don't like don't get me wrong i'm not saying you know you have to have a good guy and a bad guy i'm just saying you know that's the way it, the, the film tries to, to paint itself is like that, but also trying to invert that, but then not doing that. Like it, it's, it's mm. confused with what it wants to do. And I think confused is really the bottom line for me with this film. Like the, the themes of the film are confused. You know, the, the good guy and the bad guy, what it wants to do with that, that's confused. Like it's, there are so many elements going on and it doesn't know what to do with them. And that's a shame because the majority of the elements are really, really good. And I think that's why it's so hard to talk about this film because it, it, it reminds me of the Tournament of Power in a way. It's a, it's a film that's made up of amazing moments that aren't necessarily strung together in the best way. Yeah, there's a definite like less than the sum of its parts feel. And I think I think with me a little, like with a few changes here and there, I think they could have made it just feel that much better. I'm not sure what those changes are. But <laughs> well, that's going to be my next question. <laughs> you can't just throw it out there. I, I do worry about, you know, say we've been 
it's tough to talk about it. We have been talking for an hour. I'm looking at the recording. I do worry about doing a review that is longer than the piece of media itself, and I don't want to keep everyone up uh, all day and all night. I do have a couple last questions for you, though. Uh, AJ, the way you've been talking about Broly, I, I want to hear this both from you and Jake. Was it worth bringing Broly back? And then as a follow-up to that, uh, people that are already fans of Broly and almost the parody reinforcement of Broly that has been memed and exaggerated to death over the years are they gonna take to the new broly i i feel like maybe fans of the old broly will be disappointed and this was another sort of issue i had is that once broly turns into big hulking screaming guy you know from movie eight he's not quite who he was in movie eight because in this film he has zero dialogue as mr hulking screaming guy and so that sort of edgy thing that appealed to people um, you know, who are fans of movie eight, that's not there. And then, you know, if you're not interested in sympathetic Broly, then that's another issue. So maybe if you're a fan of the old character, you won't like this. But for me, I always felt like old Broly just felt like the total antithesis of everything a Toriyama villain, villain should be. Whereas this feels perfectly Toriyama and I, I love that he has you know, nuances to his personality and another aspect that really brought me back to that feeling in 2013 Battle of Gods is that the film feels like it's expanding its horizons because Broly isn't just kind of tucked away at the end of the film you know he doesn't die you know he's you know put off on his planet Goku comes to visit him and there's this nice sort of feeling that hey we might meet again and I, I really loved that feeling and i would love to see more of broly so for me the answer is you know yes I'm, I'm glad they brought him back and i would love to see more of that character because i guess now that the the movie eight soft remake reimagining is out of the way what's left is a really interesting character well kula is next that's where we're going uh jake <laughs> what was your take on uh broly coming back do you think it was worth it I think right now, looking just at this movie, it was worth it, but I'm afraid they, that the people in charge of the franchise might take the, lo the wrong lessons from this. Yeah. And kind of like you said, they might just be like, well, I guess the only the way forward is just to bring back as many new stuff as we can and have Toriyama put a kind of new spin on it. Yeah. And I think that's going, if they do that, that'll get old pretty quickly. I feel like I like they managed to pull it off once. I don't think they can pull it off again. Well, this is kind of, I don't know, the second, third, fourth time. I mean, Frieza came back for Resurrection F, and a lot of people said at the time, like, oh, he's been back in movie 12 and eradicate the signs. Like, well, technically, that was just Toriyama doing it for the first time. But yeah, it's like, so we just keep bringing people back. We brought 17 back. We brought Frieza back. We brought Broly back. And now if we just extend into the, you know, the the expanded universe of Dragon Ball, is that what we want to do here? I don't know. I mean, that's not what I want from the franchise personally. I mean, if this I mean, if if that's what other people want, then I guess fine. I mean, don't want to hog the whole franchise to myself. But <laughs> I feel like I don't know. I have a, I have a, a bad feeling that like 10, 20 years from now, people look back and be like, well, this is this is where it all started. This is where it started. <laughs> all right. All right. AJ, I want to give you because I'm sure I'll I'll hear hell if I don't give someone a couple moments here. Do you want to say anything else about Sumitomo's score in this film? Yes. Yes. Please listen to it. Open your CD and listen to it. Um, yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> I like the way the plastic looks. <laughs> No, I like I, you know, I've I've said for a long time I'm not a big fan of Sumitomo, and he's never really captured 
what Dragon Ball is to me. And for the longest time, I've never really been able to define what Dragon Ball music is for me without just going, well, it's Kikuchi. And I, I don't know if that's really a great answer. Um, that's a fine answer. <laughs> so uh, I think the, the thing with this film, and we kind of heard it a little bit in the future trunks arc, and I think this is why people responded so well to a lot of the music there is that powerful motif is, I feel like something that really hooks Dragon Ball fans on music. Like for me, when I think of Kikuchi, there are so many little things, you know, like, like Piccolo's, you know, little theme is just amazing. Like it, it's those little things, those, I'm not a music person, you know, like Therese is going to cry hearing me listen to it, but it's like, yeah, it's like those things, those little melodies or motifs or, you know, things that recur and, and they work themselves through every different track, you know, on, on, on the series. Like to me, that's Dragon Ball. And it's, it's that lack of sort of, what's the word? I mean, you, you said it like you, you, memorability, you know, like if you, you can hum those things and they're amazing. And, and to me, that's, why I love this soundtrack because it takes something that's recognizably to do with this character. Like there's something for Broly, there's something for Freezer, there's something for, you know, Goku that also ties in with Bardock. And then, you know, there's, and, and it builds itself throughout the whole film and it feels huge. And it was, it was, it was so weird to sit there and go, you know, this doesn't have any of the instruments that Kikuchi uses. And it's, you know, it's clearly trying to be its own thing, but at the same time, the spirit of Dragon Ball is here and it's working really, really well. And I can't really understand why this is working so well when I don't really care for much of anything that he's done before, even though there are obviously many elements from stuff he's done before in this soundtrack. It's, it's odd. Um, but no, I, I think it's something special. And, you know, if that's something, you know, he's going to go with from here on out, fine. I love it. Well, it sounds like you guys enjoyed the film. Uh, there are some critical points there for sure. Um, it seems like there's also a little bit of concern for the future of the franchise, kind of kind of pinning it here. But as a, a standalone product, it seems like it's uh, well worth, especially the theatrical experience, right? As far as I'm concerned, this is the best movie to feature Broly and the worst movie to feature Gogeta. Okay. And I would say it's the best movie to feature Gogeta and the best movie to feature Broly because I do not like movie 12. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I thought I thought you were going to say it's the the best the worst movie to feature Gogeta the bet no wait the the I thought you were going to flip it around and be like oh this is the worst Broly movie but the best Gogeta. <laughs> yeah, I'm a movie. secret bio Broly fan. Well, it's the best Broly colon VR movie. Ah, All right. Well, uh, again, everyone's going to have their own opportunity to see this movie uh, relatively soon. Hopefully it's not getting a super wide release, but it's getting a pretty decent size release uh, in America and throughout a bunch of other countries as well. Uh, So I very much appreciate you guys um, going to Japan to go see the movie. (laughs) Wasn't the only reason I (laughs) I realized that. (laughs) Well, it was the only reason AJ went over. Very true. Also went there to eat Jakoyaki. Well, there you go. I mean, there's always food. It sounds like you guys had a wonderful time, uh, got a chance to hang out together. Uh, I love that part of things. Uh, you guys met up with Cypher as well for at least one screening. I love, I absolutely love hearing about all that and seeing everyone get together and enjoy things. Uh, so AJ, thank you very much. Uh, it's been a while since you've been on the show, so I appreciate you uh, making the time uh, to come on here and chat about things. Uh, Jake's going to stick around for a little bit, but why don't you give us what you got going on? Uh, I have not masses going on at the moment. It's that weird, awkward period where the film's out now. There's nothing announced yet. So what do I do? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'll be going to the, the UK premiere of Broly 
on Tuesday, so I should, I mean, that'll be my first experience with this film dubbed. So I'll probably look at how that turned out in comparison to the original language version. So expect a video on that at some point in the future. Um, I don't really have anything else to say. Well, again, I say thank you to AJ and to Jake for uh, spending the time here chatting about the film. Everyone, I hope you uh, go off and see it yourself and have a great time. Uh, Stick around. We got more of the podcast here. In one of our very, very rare cases, uh, we actually have uh, the four of the Consenshu folks here. I remain Mike Fujito EX. Uh, still with us is Jake Herms. Hello. Hello. Uh, joining in for the segment here, uh, Julian. Hello. Hey there. And then as well, uh, Stranger. Well, not so Stranger because you were kind of here last time. Uh, Heath, hello. Come on now. I have returned. Yes, we are all here. Uh, It's a pleasure to speak with everyone, as always. Uh, We got some stuff to talk about, I guess. Uh, Heath, you and I have been talking about it's a a very exciting year as we look ahead to 2019. Julie and I have been talking about that as well. Uh, And Jake, it's going to be a new and exciting year for you as well. Uh, We've been talking to you for a little bit about this, but uh, you're looking to a, a bright future, aren't you? Yeah, I guess so. I have mixed emotions. <laughs> well, we all do. Yeah, I'm I'm hiding it in laughter. But, well, I guess not to beat around the bush too much here, I'm essentially quitting Kanzenshu. <gasps> no way. Uh, yes way. You say that, but you're you're also kind of just looking to, you know, I just need some, some time away from this Dragon Ball thing. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe another 20 to 30 years, come back after there's a backlog. Yeah, well, you know, you've, you've given a good, what, decade plus of your life at this point. Yeah, I've, I think I've canned my fair share of shoes. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I would say so. Uh, Heath, tell us a little bit about Jake. <laughs> oh, what is there to not say about Jake? Um, yeah, I've known Jake for quite a while now, and he is a great guy. And I, I know this has been emotional for a lot of people, and a lot of people out there can be really sad to hear all this, but uh, it's Jake's decision. It's what he wants to do, and, and I support it. I'm going to miss him. But luckily, we'll still be friends, and I will still hit him up with random questions that hopefully he will answer. You guys sound like you're getting divorced. More than <laughs> <laughs> We're getting consensual divorce, I guess. It's it's amicable. Right. Very much so, yes. <laughs> but I, I'm very much looking forward to everything that he does in the future and staying in touch. Yeah. Like, like this is not a, hey, guys, <laughs> I hate you. Goodbye. This is. <laughs> <laughs> well, we tried to do that with Julian and it just didn't work. So <laughs> what? He Wait. just keeps coming Wait, back oh, to my oh. house. Are we not supposed to say that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jake, you you came into fandom. <laughs> I remember you won a contest for uh, on Daisenshu EX. I was doing, was it like Write Your Own Dragon World and you wrote one for Raleigh and I thought it was the best thing ever and you won that contest, right? Yeah, for uh, Budokai 3. Right, right. And the, the prize was the uh, Funimation release of the the 22nd tournament i guess they they called the tian shinhan saga right right so i won i won that dvd set and i still have never actually watched it because i was waiting to <laughs> buy all i will i was waiting to you know watch the entire original dragon ball series straight through so first i had to wait for them to release the first 13 episodes and that took years and years and then by the time that finally came out i i don't know i just hadn't it was hard to schedule time to go through 153 episodes so i didn't actually get around to do that until 2016 at which point i had just bought the uh blue the funimation blue brick sets so i just used those instead 
Who is so, who is doing the lawnmower? What is that? Yeah. Oh, Julian, sorry, put your leaf blower away. No, that's yeah. my house. Sorry, they're doing trimming my hedges right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is very fitting. Who is doing lawn work while they're recording? <laughs> this is like classic recording right here. It's just random noises. So, and Jake, from there, um, <laughs> I, I'm just going to continue. Got to go forward. <laughs> so then, yeah, I, I hit up Jake on the forum. Uh, he started doing some Daisenshu translations. And I was in need of a translator, which is how all good stories start. <laughs> yeah, you, you kind of mirrored what I did with Julian, where it's like, yeah. hey, there's this really cool guy and he's doing cool stuff. And, and I'm in admiration of the things he's doing and it aligns with what I'm doing. And you probably mm-hmm. looked at Jake like, he's posting a lot of Mike's forum. I could really use someone like that. I better grab him. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then the funny part was it turned out that Jake was not from my home state, but he was actually going to college in my hometown so it was kind of nice because like how often does that happen the fact that i randomly run into you on the internet and then we're actually in the same town yeah it was really weird because that never happens for me i remember going over to was it turquoise colored yeah the house? turquoise house i was in for my last year of college yeah it was like the only time we actually met in person because this is kind of a weird Venn diagram where you were from that city. I was going to college in that city, but you weren't there at because first. Because I was going to college elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, so it's like there's only there's only that one time we actually overlapped. Yeah, I think I was home for Christmas or something. And we're like, we got to meet up. Yeah, that was a fond memory for me. But that's kind of where it all it all went from there. And then we're like, hey, how many things do you think we can translate and not legally get in trouble for? <laughs> I've and then it all snowballed down from there and at that point that's really when i feel like the two separate sites started aligning more and more um we were both when was this do you remember around 2008 i think yeah but so yeah i was the first person to go on the I was on the Daisenshui X podcast before Heath was. Yes. Because you brought That's me on right. to talk about the um, side stories that were in some of the right. um, anime special magazines and whatnot. Yep. About yep. Bardock and Trunks and whatnot. Because I translated those. So you brought me on to talk about that. So that was like the first official Kanzentai Daisenshui X crossover. Yeah, that timing sounds about right. Because at the time I had moved over to Japan and I was kind of living my life at that point and I was kind of spending some time away from the fandom and i think it was kai plus the live action movie that started to draw me back in so you were kind of really helpful in filling in those gaps for me (laughs) Mm. picking up my slack well it was shortly after that that jake went to japan right right yeah so this would have been like i (laughs) (laughs) they're never gonna let you talk <laughs> but yeah, so I joined Kanzentai the year, like, about a year, the year before I went, I spent a year in Tokyo studying abroad. Mm-hmm. Then I went to Tokyo, spent that year there. And while I was there, that was around, I think Kai started while I was there, and the um, JSAT special came out, the, uh, you know, Goku and Friends Return thing. And so that was one of the things, when I was in Japan, trying and failing to get into that. Is that the one that you snuck into? Well, I tried to sneak in, but it Didn't it was... It was very cleverly set up to prevent people from sneaking in, where you had to go up a long, uh, the entrance to the theater was up a long flight of stairs, and so there's just this one guy standing that, you know, there's like no way past this guy. And so I tried to be like, I tried, you know, I just pretend like I had no idea what was going, like I was just passing through. Oh like, no, oh, can I, see what's- I am Gaijin, how do I do this? Yeah. 
can I see uh, our tourists allowed inside this uh, random movie theater in the middle of the park here? <laughs> and he said, no, you can't get in without a ticket. So I tried to I went to see if there was a way to get in the back, but I, there wasn't really. And then I got distracted. I think this was in Ueno Park in Tokyo, but it was in some kind of park. So there's just other stuff going on. So you I gradually yourself just, as a panda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I need to, if I need to find that cursed spring first, then I sneak right in oh, well. as a panda but anyway so i you know i eventually just got distracted by other stuff and wandered away and had like a random tourist day but and then fortunately they put that thing on streaming not was it yeah it was still yeah, it was. streaming anyway yeah, but yeah yeah they put it online shortly thereafter anyway so it doesn't matter but the story was worth it <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and from that point on i mean those were those critical years i think all of us just uh kept talking more and more uh especially through the podcast but um I mean, this it was just a, a friendship a match made in heaven is <laughs> everything we were working on. And Heath, then in the background of all of that, uh, you know, we've talked about this, but you and I were talking for years about like long term planning. We got to just merge these two sides. We, like we got to do this. It it started basically as a joke and everybody knew it was like an inside joke. Then finally, one day we're just like, yeah, we should actually be serious about this <laughs> because it was it was getting to the point of we that's basically what we were doing anyway yeah so we might as well just actually do it outright right, right. and uh yeah the rest is history after that so they yeah. say that was my larger i guess entry point <laughs> to talking with Jake more than than just on the forum just as a, you know another member obviously a a large contributing member but uh just being able to talk as friends and and share stories and share thoughts and concerns and wishes and opinions about everything and uh i've certainly valued that i've talked dragon ball has been really interesting to me because it's been these couple like key pockets of making new lifelong friends, uh, you know, that started at the very beginning of when I was uh, working on my website, started in 1998. And then for a couple of years in there, some of the people that I met there, um, like my wife, <laughs> over those couple of years there, uh, folks like Ryan as well. I mean, these are people that uh, I, I very much consider m my friends, uh, just as much as anyone else that I met in school or through a job or something like that. Uh, and I, I really feel like that continued. Uh, I guess Julian showed up at some point along the way there in like 2000. 2003 but i'm jumping ahead <laughs> to the, the consentai days that was like the the next big oh this is like expanding my group of, of friends and then just being able to talk with uh heath you you and jake has uh has been very rewarding i guess i'll say well that is Thanks. good to hear yeah so in my case uh i've always been grateful for jake being there even though i haven't really had a lot of chances to talk to him and i've still never met him face to face yeah you're the the outliers i don't even know what he looks like <laughs> but i've always He's been invisible. very pleased that um while i uh like to focus on sort of the out of universe aspects of the franchise um the people who play the roles and who write the stuff and the relationship to it you've always been there to sort of take on the in-universe things all the nitty gritty of uh, what stuff is and how it relates to the story in general. And especially you've always been willing to take the heat for uh, things like power levels. <laughs> and um, those fans can get quite passionate about such things. I remember just um, there was a Toriyama interview that I, I think I touched upon where he mentions in passing that Yamcha is a cheater. And I 
got so much hate from several Yamcha fangirls, and luckily, um, other ancillary material has since backed me up on that point. But at the time, I was like, "Wow, I just put myself really out there." It's like, yeah, like they think they think you said it or something. It's like, oh, <laughs> right. It's like I can't imagine it. what you have to deal with. <laughs> yeah, well, I just, I mean, I don't check my, um, what's the word? my, I don't check my Twitter uh, responses anymore. So, <laughs> basically, <laughs> Twitter's going to blame you. Totally unusable for you. <laughs> I mean, I've got a very long mute list. So. <laughs> right. Well, just bouncing off of that, that's something that his, I've always, I've always been incredibly Im- impressed by. I don't know what the right word is for it, um, but Jake, you will, you will do anything for anyone. Uh, you're always willing. You're always game. Um, you're always, even if you're not enthusiastic about the material, you're enthusiastic about and take pride in the end result even if it's not something you care about or you know have any real interest in doing sometimes you'll be like all right well this, this has to get done so i'm gonna do this and and here's my stamp on it uh and and it doesn't matter who it is you'll you'll just do anything for anyone uh, and without any bravado about it and you're just you're matter of fact about it in such a, a kind way that it's it's very admirable to me i mean even if, if i don't even if it's not something i'm super interested in i mean sometimes just interesting things will come up. I mean, a lot of my random vocabulary in Japanese is just stuff that happened to get mentioned in some interview about, um, you know, just on some random, um, you know, like even those uh, for Resurrection F where they had the um, the daily blogs that were written by characters, like this completely <laughs> ephemeral promo tie-in yeah, stuff yeah. that had nothing to do with anything. Or even also with Resurrection F, the stuff where it's like they're hawking a, here's the tie-in between uh, Resurrection F and uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> here's our new product. Like even that stuff, it like teaches, it can be an opportunity to learn just like, well, here's how they phrase uh, this kind of thing, this kind of chicken, fried chicken advertisement in Japanese. Like a lot of, you know, I've, I've picked up a lot of st- interesting things that way through things that initially didn't necessarily seem interesting. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I'd say that uh, the the breadth of stock phrases that we've come across through Dragon Ball has certainly helped in other ways. Like when I'm watching Kamen Rider with my son, it's like, oh, yeah, I pre- pretty much understand everything they're talking about because it's almost nothing but that stuff. And I'm not mm. going to take heat from Tokusatsu fans for saying something like that, but it's enjoyable. And I mean, a lot of a lot of helping random people. It really does come down to just if I if I'm happen to be around with free time and happen to check Twitter or email or whatever. And, you know, I are just do those random favors, but I, I do feel, I do, I feel, but I feel bad about, I guess I always feel slightly guilty about the sheer randomness of who I respond to, because this is literally, if I'm, if I happen to see this, yeah. if it's not, if it's not buried, buried under a bunch of other people arguing about power level stuff, then I might help somebody with some random game, like uh here, like a, uh, one of those app games like oh what how, what's the criteria for these missions yeah yeah but again it's like it, it really feels like and, and maybe this is <laughs> tell me is this part of what's contributing to things where it's like you're you're just always on that's got to be tough yeah i mean there is a certain burnout factor i mean there's the other thing is like well sometimes it feels like i'm always on but the other thing is that my job is that i'm requires me to be away from 
my phone for long periods of time. So there's a lot of like, it would almost be easier if I could be around all the time because then I could parse it out more. But yeah, like just with super like keeping up with that, there's a lot of times just getting off of work and checking my phone like, well, here's a million things that I haven't that I've piled up while I've been away. Oh, yes. <laughs> or even just waking up in the morning, it's like, well, I kind of need to leave right now, but let me type up, let me translate this preview very quickly before I have to drive to work. Yeah. After Battle of Gods happened, it took me a long time to figure out what to ignore and to not get after myself of like getting to stuff right away in the morning, be the first one to answer, to respond to a forum post. Right, right. It took forever to kind of get out of that mode. And so I feel yeah. you on that one. It's it's definitely hard to do. And it's it is kind of I, I kind of it has been convenient for me in this time zone that it almost cancels out my work schedule because I end up being around a lot of the time anyway. But I don't know. It's uh, and, you know, there's stuff where it's like you get out. Of, I get out of the gym and it's like, you know, I kind of want to go home now because I've been working out for a while. But, oh, here's a thing that just popped up. So I just try, have to <laughs> spend an additional 15 minutes in the park in the parking lot, sitting in my car still very sweaty, kind of typing on my phone, like not sure. God knows what anyone who's if anyone's seeing this, God knows what they think is I'm doing. And yet you've always done it without so much as a complaint. In fact, it all it almost feels like people sort of came to rely on you being this sort of disembodied translation fairy who would sort of descend upon us and grace us with these things without even having to, you know, you know, be dragged k- kicking and screaming into the the whole thing. Like I know sometimes it's like, oh, do I really have to respond to this at all? And then I kind of, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah. But it, you, you never give off that feeling. And it's, it's really impressed me. And especially because, you know, even now on Twitter, you don't have an actual um, avatar and you don't even real use your real name. So it's like we you, you contribute in some way to the legend of Herms or Hermes, as some people call you, or even Todd. Todd. Just, <laughs> we would always get a lot of messages for Todd. Just, yeah, which, uh, I mean, it's one of those things where it's, I just, let's see, if I'm remembering correctly, I think it was that I originally did use my real name, and then I thought, I this was back when I had maybe like 100 followers, but I think I saw that my sister had followed me, or I thought I had seen that she was on the list. I'm like, well, I should actually probably change my name, discourage family. Like, I want to keep this separate from my actual persona. I've done the same thing. So that's why I changed it. But, I mean, in retrospect, I like, I never talked to my sister about it, and I don't think she ever actually has Twitter. So it probably was someone who just had, like, the same, same name. name, coincidentally. <laughs> so it was all a mistake anyway. But, yeah, so I'd say, I guess I should give this story once again. But, yes, Todd uh, Blankenship... Not even sure how you should pronounce that, but it's a joke from uh, Jack Candy's Deep Thoughts, which is this, you know, he one of the best do- segments of Saturday Night Live. Totally. Ever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he used to do these things that are just like complete, like they're a parody of like inspirational sayings, but they generally don't make any sense. And I've actually, yeah, you know, I've never really watched them in Saturday Night Live. I got introduced to them in the book form because he oh, put okay. out collections of them. So I got introduced to them that way. But yeah, so one of the things he do- has is um, where it's like, I wish my name were Todd. That way, if anyone asked me my name, I could say, yes, my name is Todd, Todd Blankenship. Oh, yeah, I, I also wish my last name was Blankenship, <laughs> which is like like the quintessential deep Jack Handy deep thought. That right. This is about nothing. It has no point whatsoever. <laughs> right. But yeah, so anyway, when I was trying to think of a pseudonym, that just popped into my head as a, like, as a joke that 
only I would get. Right. Which kind of contributed to people thinking it was assuming it was right my real name. So I guess in retrospect, I kind of wish I'd done something that was more obviously fake. No, I think it's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. I mean, I guess uh, I, the second option would have been um, like a Groucho Marx name, for, like a Rufus T. Firefly, like something more ridiculous. But I don't know. I guess it worked out in the end. Yeah. I, I got to say, I thought I thought uh, the blank avatar was deliberate um, as coming off of the um, the pseudonym that you used. I didn't think that they were just that so- originated when we were doing content and I was trying to come, you know, with an about us page put up and was just like, hey, what do you want me to use? And he's like, oh, use a uh, suitcase on. <laughs> I said, oh, OK, I can do that. And I think we switched it on the, so we used that on the forum for a while. It was, it was just a transparent ping file. Right. And, um, then on Halloween, we would switch it to actually Suke-san for like a day and then we'd switch it back to being blank. So that's great. That's kind of where it all started. I think what you just kind of carried it through after that. The actual origin was that I just on the form, I just didn't have an avatar because I was too lazy and stupid to make an avatar. And also because it's the thing where it's like, you know, people have if they have an avatar where it's a picture of Goku's face, then you just imagine Goku saying whatever they say. (laughs) And so I didn't I didn't want to do something that would lead to that kind of association. But mostly it was just laziness. But yeah, so essentially I had, you know, reached the point where I was like, I don't know, one of them I I had posted. I was one of like the top whatever posters on the forum as as far as post count, but I didn't have an avatar. So in revert, like. So not having an avatar became my avatar. Yep. But then when it came to, yeah, when it was like, what should my avatar for Kanzen Tai be? Then that was the idea is like, oh, or get an avatar, but it'll just be a blank. So that's where that. And then. And it was perfect. Ju- yeah. And to justify that by saying, oh, it's an, uh, pi- it's actually a picture of the invisible man. <laughs> it's perfect. Then idea I had that I think I might have talked with Heath about this, but something for the forum where I, you know, we talked about on Halloween, it's you actually see the, the blood soaked version of Suke-san. Yeah. Yep. I wanted to do it like it would be like, you know, when you refresh, some people have those scrolling avatars where it's like every time you refresh the page, the avatar would change. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to do that, but it's like not, I've, I'd have a hundred of those, but 99 of them would be the blank one. Yes. And the hundredth would be the suitcase. And so there's like a one in a hundred chance of getting the, <laughs> the actual non-invisible one. But and I, guess I think I switched it one year for you on Christmas and put a Christmas hat on him. Nice. Yeah. If I remember, or Santa hat. We had fun with it. Well, that's kind of <laughs> the the underlying, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is that we have fun. We always have fun. Uh, we continue to have fun. Uh, Kanzenshi was a joy uh, for all of us. And uh, Jake, uh, no matter what you say, you you will forever be a part of Kanzenshu. Uh, this is this is our home. It, it remains your home. Uh, the, the podcast in particular, uh, no matter what you do, you you always have a place here. Uh, anytime you're looking to get something off your chest or you see something interesting you want to join, we're, of course, uh, happy to have you. But at the same time, we also respect that you've done so much that you need a break. <laughs> Everyone needs to take a break at some point. I mean, I took my ball and went home when I was an angry teenager. I, I'm so glad that we're all... <laughs> At the age when the uh, when the taking a break is uh, 
one where you're leaving a legacy. Uh, I, I think that's important. That's admirable. I can't use that word uh, enough. Uh, so much of what we have on Kanzenshu is built on the backs of Jake and Julian. Uh, Heath, as much as we do, sometimes I wonder what it is the two of us do. <laughs> but, yes, very much so. Yes, but but uh, you are not, you are, you'll never be a former member. You are a member emeritus, uh, you know, you, you may not be actively doing stuff, but you, you never have to be a stranger. You can hang around as much as you want. We'll always have a chair open. That's right. I appreciate that. And Mike will drink a beer for you. I will. <laughs> uh, it's a whiskey night, I think. Uh, we're going to raise a glass of that this evening. Well, I don't know what else to say. So, uh, Jake, this is, uh, this is your segment. Uh, anything else you want to throw out there and uh, leave people with? I guess just to thank you guys for all you've done over the years, and I guess we'll continue to do into the foreseeable future. And for, yeah, thanks to Heath for taking a chance on me those years ago. Oh, that was my pleasure. Mm. I would I would do it again in a heartbeat. Thanks to Mike for sending me that DVD thing I never watched. <laughs> and it may stay that way for quite a while. Yeah, I think mm. you need to frame it if you still have it. It's probably... In a box. Yeah, I think it's... Well, it's... Back, uh, so yeah, it's back at my parents' place, so it's not even on the current landmass I reside on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fine. That's fine. I don't feel bad about it. I don't know how I got an extra copy of that, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, thanks to Julian for just well, always being uh, well for paving the way. Well, thank but, you. Uh, yeah, uh, I I didn't really think of it that way, but uh, I suppose uh, sure that's a very self-centered way of phrasing it on my part. I don't know. Uh, we, we've filled similar roles over the years, but complementary ones. Yeah, I yes. thought that worked out pretty well. Thanks for complimenting me. Complimenting. Com- anyway. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> We've had uh, a heck of an episode, uh, Jake. Uh, I will wrap things up once again by saying thank you uh, as uh, as a part of Konzenshu, uh, as a friend, as a colleague. Um, thank you. Thanks, Jake. You're welcome. There's really not a heck of a lot else I can say at this point. So I'll just leave it at www.kanzenshuu.com. That is Kanzenshu. For myself, Mike, for Julian, for Heath, and for Jake as well. Uh, that is Kanzenshu. Check out everything that we have there, whether it be the translation archive, whether it be the in-depth guides we have, whether it be the podcast that you're listening to right now, uh, whether it be the forum, uh, everything. It, it's it's a heck of a resource. I'm, I'm so proud and blessed to be a part of this and uh, working with the people that I work with on this hobby that is Kanzenshu. I really, really don't know what else I can say at this point. So thank you for tuning into the podcast this week. Thank you for uh, enjoying the website. We'll see you next time for episode 466 of our podcast. I already have something great planned for you coming next week. So uh, definitely be on the lookout for that. For all the folks here, my name is Mike. Thank you very much for tuning in. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. Uh, so I'm going to skip the opening of the intro of the podcast, all that. Podcast, all that. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I told.
<laughs> what was that? Oh. I was I'm just fiddling around. Oh, okay. <laughs> Knocking stuff over. Yeah. All right. Seems like there might be a buzzing sound on my end. I don't hear it on Skype. Okay. Well, I guess it doesn't matter then. Well, I mean, it does, but <laughs> do, you, do you see it in, in the waveform or anything? Yeah, on the Audacity thing. Is it big or is it just kind of like subtle? Uh, subtle, I guess. Is it something I'll be able to work with? I don't know. All right. <laughs> okay, Might it seems... cry later. <laughs> right, it's going to be 11 p.m. I'll just seems smaller. seems smaller now that I've knocked that thing over. Yay, we're here. I'm going to no. hit record. I'm going to hit record. It's there. a four-person recording. Yes, That's it rare. is. Well, I know. <laughs> it's usually a pain in the ass <laughs> to edit, too, but I figure it's worth it. Ha <laughs> ha. <Right>? Sucker. <clears throat> All right. So, everyone, let me know when you've got your, uh, your stuff open and recording. Recording the correct. And recording. Okay. I'm recording Julian. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Jake, you good? Uh, yep. All right. <clears throat> I don't really know <clears throat> how to start. 